In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the Gospel today, Jesus gives a prophecy of his impending death. St. Luke writes, He took the twelve aside and said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and mocked and spitted upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. This seems like a fairly straightforward description of what's going to happen. So it should at least surprise us a little bit that St. Luke tells us of the disciples' reaction that, quote, they understood none of these things. And the saying was hidden from them. Neither did they know the things which were spoken. What didn't they understand? Jesus is going to get arrested, beaten, killed. He's going to rise the third day. We've been celebrating that for, you know, 2,000 years or so. How can this be hidden from them? Of course, it was hidden from them in the sense that they did not expect the Messiah to suffer and die, that that way of the Messiah saving Israel was not on their radar screen, and they hadn't been celebrating it for 2,000 years, so they don't know it like we do. But they did also not yet understand how suffering and death were the prerequisites for resurrection. They did not understand how suffering and death could have anything to do with providing the hope of Israel's redemption. I mean, when you win, you just win. Why do you have to lose first? The prophecy of crucifixion, along with the blindness of the apostles, is our gospel for the Sunday just before Lent. We have to wait till after Lent in Luke's gospel to find the answer to the disciples' blindness. Our gospel is Luke 18. In Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, the risen Christ will appear to this same group, minus Judas, and St. Luke will tell us, quote, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise again the third day. The blindness of the apostles is healed by the risen Christ, who gives them the gift of understanding. The key thing he enabled them to see is why it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Why suffering was the necessary means to the end of salvation for Israel and how salvation for Israel could not be accomplished any other way. In the gospel itself, this healing of the apostles is foreshadowed by the healing of the blind man, which takes place just after the apostles' blindness is revealed to us. The blindness of the blind man represents the apostles' inability to see. The restoration of sight to the blind man is a physical illustration of the resurrection of sight that Jesus will give to the apostles after he rises from the dead. And both are healing gifts from God. The blindness of the disciples in this circumstance 
represents the larger blindness of fallen humanity. It is instructive that so many people struggle with faith over the issue of suffering, <clears throat> just as the apostles were struggling with the issue of a suffering Messiah. And this is both a personal issue for each of us and also a timeless philosophical question. And we should not be blind to the connection between our struggles with suffering and the struggles with suffering that the disciples had in our gospel. They did not understand how the suffering of Jesus could have anything to do with the promise of glory. Our questions are essentially on the same thing, same theme. What on earth do the suffering I am going through and the larger suffering we see in the world have to do with God's promise of resurrection and life in the world to come. And this is not only an issue in the various forms of human pain, it is also a central issue in our struggle with sin. We want fulfillment and satisfaction. Why can't we just have it the easy way? Why do we have to suffer, struggle against temptation before we have a positive satisfaction of our desires? The truth is that the human vocation was, from the beginning, a vocation to suffer through temptation, to do the will of God. In the temptation of the first humans, Adam and Eve were called to forego what seemed like an attractive fulfillment offered by God, offered by the forbidden fruit placed there by God. They had to resist this temptation in order to be faithful to God's word. And this involved, therefore, a form of pain, a form of self-denial. They had to say no to something they wanted to do. When they refused to endure the pain of faithfulness, they experienced instead a different kind of pain. Guilt, shame, fear, alienation from God. The sin of the first humans initiated a timeless human pattern. We want to achieve glory, to be like God, knowing good and evil. But we do not want to endure the pain of faithfulness that is the absolutely necessary pathway to that state of blessedness. Thus, we are continually tempted to take shortcuts, to satisfy ourselves right now on our own terms, rather than waiting faithfully for God to give us what he has promised us in his good time as a reward for our faithfulness. Jesus restores us to the original human vocation of being faithful through temptation and pain. The problem with the unfaithful shortcut is that it can never give us what we really want. Human captivity to sin is precisely that we are stuck in this pattern of continuing to pursue fulfillment through things that can never give us what we want. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer, and it is necessary for us to suffer with him, because what we want, what we really want, can only be attained by dying with Jesus. Or to put it in a positive way, 
what we really want is being given to us through our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. The pain of the cross, which we share through the gift of the Holy Spirit, is producing within us, in the life of prayer, the glory of resurrection. Our primary struggle in the life of faith is our desire to flee from the cross. We are called to resist this temptation and pick up our cross and follow Jesus because this is the only way we can get what we really want. And of course, this requires faith or trust in God. And this is precisely why we are saved by faith. It is not possible to avoid pain in this life. The question is what kind of pain we will suffer. The cross is not sadistically administered pain. It is the particular kind of pain that produces the particular kind of life that is the resurrection. And the Bible describes it, therefore, as birth pangs, the birth pangs of the new creation. If we refuse the cross, we do not avoid the pain. We avoid some pain. We do not avoid pain in general. We choose instead another kind of pain, the pain of death. Adam and Eve avoided the pain of not having the forbidden fruit, of, of not saying no to their desire. But they experienced a different kind of pain instead. Guilt, shame, fear, and alienation from God. Avoiding the cross merely turns the pain of birth into the pain of death. Jesus came to redeem our pain not to give us new pain. The pain was already there. And this is the reason we should not bemoan Lent so much. The point is not what we give up. The point is that whatever we give up, Jesus will always give us more in its place. As Jesus said about the practice of faithful fasting, quote, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The season of Lent is therefore a gift to us from the church. It is an opportunity to declare our freedom and to acquire more freedom, to say no to things in order to say yes to God, to endure the pain of the cross, the pain of birth, in order to attain to the joy of resurrection. Of course, we must open our eyes to see that the way of the cross is the way to life. Or we must pray to Jesus to ask him to open our eyes, to give us the gift of sight. As Jesus said in the gospel, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.